0: So I'll, I'll take a moment here to introduce our speaker, um, Don. And I, I have a proclivity for m- mispronouncing your last name. I want to add a D to it because it's McDonald. It's not the place with the golden arches. I, I and my daughter has corrected me half a dozen times. My wife has corrected me at least that number of times because part of the way I got to know Don originally is that our daughters are roughly the same age at the same school, and so they came from RUMC, but I didn't really get to know her at RUMC. I got more to know Elizabeth at at Georgia Tech, Um, because our kids tend to bring the parents together more often than parents somehow get together. Well, um, I didn't know as much about Don as I should have until I got the chance to introduce him this morning. It turns out that at University of Rochester, apparently he knew where he was headed because he had two talents that I didn't realize he had. One is a sharpshooter, which would make sense for what he was doing next. And the next thing was a radio host. <laughs> so, you know, I'm imagining how you mix those two two talents, and I couldn't come up with anything, but it does sound like something you would do in college. Um, he served uh, two tours of duty. He served on the uh, mm. U.S. Chandler, and I maybe we'll hear a Navy story or two. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about those this early in the day, but if, if so, we'll hear. Um, and he got out of the Navy, and you went into energy marketing. I know you've had your own company for a while. And is it Gothen, Gosen, Goshen, Goshen Goshen, Valley, which is a foster care activity, which I had never heard of until I read his bio. Um, and so I know you've had a career change here recently. I don't want to take anything away from that story, but it, it would be one of those companies that you've all probably interacted with in the last week. And so I am fascinated to hear how you chain all of those things together. He has a wife, Charlotte, and a college-age daughter, uh, Elizabeth, and a college-age <laughs> son. When I looked you up in Ministry Platform, did you know you have two adult children?
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> 24 and 21. Wow. And 19, so
0: i Oh, my goodness. Well, I, so uh, come speak to us this morning, Don, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. You know, I, when I when I moved here to Atlanta with my spouse, I was unemployed. I didn't have much to do, so I decided to go take Toastmastering class. Did anybody take Toastmasters? Well, last night I was thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot go in there and breach the cardinal rule, which is to just walk in with no notes. And no preparation so i did put a little something together to try to keep uh keep myself to time this morning but my name is Don mcdonald i do appreciate the uh the kind intro eric um a little bit uh, before we jump in first of all i'm not dead you see i still have <laughs> <laughs> you even nearly dead I, i've got a little time hopefully you know god's time not my time right we never know but uh uh I love this quote. I I don't know if any of you guys have used it in any of your Bible studies or any of your discussions, but I hope you'll put up with me a little, with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. So I always love a little biblical humor. Um, So what's a little bit of, a little bit about me? Uh, I was, uh, I was born fifth of six kids in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I was raised Catholic one of those catholics be- come to methodism uh there's many of us in this room and many of us in this congregation um grew up uh just a, a just a great family life for the most part growing up as a kid uh learned about christ uh, going to parochial school you know from the, the age of uh first grade uh, really learning from nuns you know the blocking and tackling of jesus's message of course as a five-year-old my my main thing was sticking gum under the desk, so the nuns didn't like me too much, but they did open my eyes to 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 who Jesus Christ is as, as, a, as a child. Of course, I wasn't listening, and I'll tell you that story here in a second. Um, went to Jesuit college prep, and you know, I had a a calling. my first calling was the calling of military service. That was when my dad grabbed me by the kind of the scruff of the neck and he dragged me down to the recruiting district, and I walked into this Navy recruiting district, and had, you know was very intimidated, but I signed up for NROTC. You know, my dad said, hey, just sign up. Trust me, it's gonna be great. You're gonna see the world, and they're gonna pay for college. And I thought, okay, well, that's a good deal. Now, he induced me a little bit by saying, hey, if you get a scholarship, I'll buy an old car. Say, so when you're 17 years old, you're like, hey, I'll sign up for the military. Getting a, I'm getting a new $200 ride. Give me the papers. But uh, So I went into the Navy. Uh, again, third uh, third generation. So my grandfather was in World War One in the Navy. My dad was in Korea. And I was raised in this sort of just post-Vietnam era, right? Uh, an era in which our military was really... Uh, Had kind of suffered quite a bit from investment and morale, but uh, we were still fighting the Russians. You know, I I studied and was raised as a cold warrior uh, to the point where when I graduated in 1990, I thought, okay, well, I guess now we're going to go do our thing. I thought I was going to go surfing in San Diego, I got stationed there. Didn't work out that way. A little thing called Saddam Hussein right when I graduated from high school, from college. So it's almost like a movie. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! You know, the war breaks out, and I get to go to the to the Gulf War. But I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a second. Um, but I wanted to pause and 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 say that I met in 1993, while in naval service in San Diego, my wife Charlotte, who, I mean, <coughs> without my wife Charlotte, I would probably be. She like we joke about it. I'd probably be. Uh, you know, sleeping on a uh, my uh, my first mattress that I bought in college somewhere or like a futon on the ground. And, uh, you know, I knew I knew my wife was the, the one for me when we were dating about a month in San Diego. And she says to me, well, where do you go to church? And I'm like, oh, you know, I used to go to church kind I did one of these. Uh, I'm not so into God right now. I, I don't really I'm not spending a lot of time on that. And she looked at me, and she said to me with an absolutely straight face, well, God's into you. God's into you. And I thought, first of all, I was I was taken aback by her saying that. I'd right? been dating her about three weeks. And then I thought to myself, I think this is the right one. I think this is the lady that I need to get with. I think God is sending me a... a, a you know one of my first kind of guideposts in life so Charlotte and I got married we've had a just a blessed life we've been together for 27 well, 30 years now we have three kids I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second so I'm a 27 year I was doing the math last night and I thought wow time goes by quick I'm a 27 year uh, uh, resident now the state of Georgia and my southern kinfolk like to call me a a transformed carpetbagger, you know, because I, <laughs> I've spent more time in the South now than I did uh, up in in uh, New York growing up. So my my children, as Eric mentioned, uh, I have a son Clayton who um, is for graduating from GSU this year. He's going to be doing counseling. He's 24. I have a daughter Elizabeth who graduates this year from Georgia Tech. Who's 21. Uh, Elizabeth's very involved in the, in the in the youth ministry here. She's been working on the staff with Scott for a long time, um, and then my 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 youngest guy, my caboose, is Taylor. He's 19 years old. Uh, he graduated last year from Roswell High School, and now he's in data analytics at Auburn. So that's my that's my crew, if you will. I'll show you some pictures in a second. Uh, but you know, a couple more things about me. Uh, I'm an energy tech, you know, energy technology. <clears throat> I think what they call us is serial entrepreneurs. Whenever you hear serial, you always have to hear a bad word after it, and sometimes I wonder if entrepreneur isn't a bad word if you have the bug. Sometimes it can, it can lead you in fun places, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit more there about that in a second. Um, a few years back, uh, I, I had a, uh, I think what could be best described as a kind of a Damascus moment. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. Uh, where where I really had my eyes opened uh, and where I I think what I had was what might be classically called a rebirth in Christ, based on the experience I had and based on what I was calling for in my life at the time, and I'll walk you through that as well. Um, I am a retired RUMC Sunday School teacher. As an ex-military guy, my wife and I used to run kind of a, a zone defense against these little guys. And I would always go crazy because they'd leave, and I wanted them to know the scripture, right? And being the an ex-military guy, I'm like, all right, you guys, we got to sit down. Finally, my wife said, just let these kids have fun. They're four years old. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I want them to know their Bible verse. I just, it, it, I just want them to know their Bible verse. And Dennis isn't here, but I have a funny story about his son who I had to kind of... Uh, zone in one time, but, uh, I enjoyed also some other work over the years here in the church. I, I, I remember, uh, Jay Litton was doing the, the job networking ministry and, and, you know, I was kind of new to the church, uh, joined about 21 years ago, job ministries getting, getting going, but it was 99. It was like, there was, it was like now there was no unemployment. So we'd have a, I think we were upstairs. We were on the second floor. There'd be like four people in there you know, five people that we would help. I did that for a year or two, a couple years, but what a, what a great ministry that's grown into. Um, I served on the, the Stewards Board for a few years. Mike uh, asked me to do that. And, uh, you know, I have lots of questions for God. You know, I, I, there's just so many things that I just don't get, you know, and I know that there's a grand tapestry that we're, we're watching get woven from a distance. And you hear that metaphor and it kind of makes you feel better, like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about that foreground that you, you're not understanding because the whole tapestry is going to come together, right? But boy, do I have questions for God when I, get, when I get to see him. One of the five Fs. They're not failures. There are a few failures I'm going to tell you about, but I, I wanted to kind of structure my, my conversation in a way that would, uh, would help frame things. I mentioned I was born an uh, Irish Catholic. Uh, five or six kids up in Buffalo, you know, I really, uh, I don't think I fully understand, understood Christ. I certainly didn't accept Christ as my Savior as a child. I, I went to confirmation. You know, I did all the things that were required of me as a, as a dutiful Catholic, but I never, I never took Christ's message from here to here. You know, it took Mike Long You know, I I joke with Mike, he he probably had to just push it down from my forehead, down into my heart. It took a long time after I came to to our UMC to really accept grace uh, and the power of grace in my life. I'll I'll tell you a little more about that. But Francis, St. Francis, as a kid, you know, I just remember uh, the words of of St. Francis as being something that sort of, I just remember thinking, boy, that just makes sense, Right. You know the words, uh, the words of Francis, the first F. Uh, You know the prayer of Saint Francis: "Lord, make me an instrument of Thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy." When when I learned that as a kid, we used to have to sing, right? We get marched into church and it wasn 't always fun, but these words have stuck with me from the time I was a young boy uh, all through my life, uh, and I wanted to share them with you this morning. First f is Francis words the second f is is fighting okay i mean i I trained as a as a naval warrior uh, I trained uh, to fight I trained to fight for the United States, but boy, oh boy. Um, my, my road to Christ was rough through the military. I had some, there was a lot of sinfulness that I indulged in, uh, you know, as a young man that in hindsight, I'm very embarrassed by. And I'm shocked at my, my behavior. I'm shocked at some of the things I did while I was in the military. And, and sadly, some of it was normalized. Some of the behavior was normalized in our military. Um. Overall, I had a great experience, could not be more thankful for uh, the chance to serve and, and to have, you know, all my college bills paid and, and to, to have that opportunity to have that training from the government. But, um, you know, there was some rough road. There were some rough roads in there. Um, you know, I, uh, I went back on my second deployment after I was married. And let me tell you, when you see those guys, if you haven't deployed, if you haven't left your family to go on military service, I can tell you that we've gotten uh, sort of coarsened to the to the motions of what I would call perpetual war in this country right now. We've gotten coarsened to it. It's just become sort of, it's become commercialized. I was watching the, you know, the, the football game with my friend, the Super Bowl. And, uh, and I have a right to say this. I said, this is too much. Like the military should not be turned into, <clears throat> into some sort of a, you know, a, a, a fantasy. Uh, war is ugly. War is ugly, guys. I saw stuff when I was in service that you would not want to see at places like Somalia during Black Hawk Down. Um, so when you see those folks on TV and you hear the, the voice of the wife saying, you know, my family member's leaving, just remember that's not something that we need to be in forever. Right. Just just remember that uh, as a military person who fought for the country, I wanted to share that. I've had <coughs> I've fought a lot of uh, uh, what I call uh, dual demons in my life. Uh, I'm 100 percent Catholic, Irish growing up. And, you know, most, you know, the stereotype, raise your hand if you know the stereotype <laughs> about Irish people. Right. I think there's some genetic Truth to the, to the stereotype, because we, we've got some addiction and alcohol problems. And so part of my journey to Christ was understanding the relationship I had with my dad. If you, if you know much about alcoholic family dynamics, you know, I was basically putting myself the role of the hero child. If you, if you study dynamics of, of family theory of alcoholism. So I struggled uh, to try. I mean, I was still trying to prove myself to my dad when I was into my 30s you know still trying to prove to him that i that i was was uh good enough to be his kid you know good enough to call myself uh a mcdonald uh, good enough for this good enough for that you know all the good enough that, that that satan really puts into our heads like oh i need to do this i'm not good enough i haven't done this uh, boy did i ever have a rough and tumble uh period up to that awakening about 2006. I was trying to intervene in my, my father's situation uh, with alcoholism, and uh, it just, if you've ever struggled with, a, with an addicted family member, I can tell you, you, you realize that until you accept that you don't have control through kind of Al-Anon or some principles like that, until you accept that, it's, it's a horrible feeling. It's like being in quicksand, right? No matter fast how fast you move, to try to help a loved one, it's just like quick drying cement under your feet. You know, there's, there's, you just cannot, it's just not yours to do, right? That person has to walk that path with God. Well, I was down trying to intervene with my dad, and uh, he was having the delirium tremors. If you've ever had a loved one have those, oh, it's just rough, right? He was strapped down, and I walked out. And I walked down the street, and I said, God, help me. I said, God, help me. I cannot do this. And I was fighting. I was fighting with with, with grace. I was fighting with God's redemptive love. I, I wanted to continue to control my own program. I, I wanted to be the captain of my own ship. Until I realized during that moment, Uh, Where God filled me up with the power of forgiveness, where my dad actually said to me, I am sorry for the first time in his life that I can remember. Until I had that moment of reconciliation, until I had that moment of recognition and awakening, my Damascus moment, I really didn't know what it was to be a Christian. I'd been coming to this church for 10 years almost before I felt that in my heart. So I came to this new point in my life about 15 years ago. I had this rebirth. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I started my own business. I've you know, been with a couple of software companies that had some success in my life. And then I thought, okay, this Christian hardcore thing, if you really read this stuff, <laughs> this, is not, this is hard, right? I mean, you have to go all in. You know, there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no middle ground With with the call that we're given to under Christ, and and it's for me, it was scarier than going to to Somalia. Contemplate that for a second. It was scarier for me than than going off to war, going to, because you realize in Christ's words, number one, his his powerful example of unforgiving love. It's just a hard, high standard, right? We all live to we all live to that biblical standard when we can. But we all fall down. But I'll tell you, I was scared as a as a young Christian, and so I got with a group of men. I was in a Bible study. I formed this group. It was an ecumenical <coughs> group. We I had I had a Jesuit priest at one point. I had uh, uh, got a, a very evangelical friend in the Church of Christ. I've uh, got Episcopalians, Presbyterians, you name it. And boy, if that group, that Friday fellowship that, that, you know, we hear so much about as Methodists, that that small group experience, it really helped sharpen, is the best word, kind of my faith and also my knowledge of the word of Christ. So I kind of moved on from fighting. You know, I moved on from fighting. Uh, I moved beyond fighting for my dad. He passed away ultimately. And I I stopped fighting. god's control in my life i finally said okay you got the steering wheel and again that's also scary you're like you're watching the steering wheel and there's this invisible person you know that that person is god's providential hand and his plan but raise your hand if you like to grab the wheel (laughs) raise your hand i do it i do it almost every day and then i find myself and i say okay I'm going to pray about this. Never a bad idea, no matter what time during the day, to just take a little five-minute break and say, I'm just going to pray about this. It doesn't matter what it is. To me, it's just been such a blessing. So I came to this scripture, Jeremiah 29, 29, 11. And I came to it via a group uh, that I call uh, really transformative for me. Is Goshen Valley. I'm going to show you a video in a second real quick about Goshen. But uh, I had some financial success you know during this period of transition of my life and then once i came to a full understanding of what god wanted me to do with my my life like all my resources you know my physical energy my financial resources um this 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 one always gets me right this this business about the the eye of the camel right and it took me a while to understand that it's not that doesn't god doesn't want us to achieve <clears throat> And to be successful and to be fruitful, he just doesn't want us to grab those apples and hold them. He wants us to hold them loosely. He wants us to use those gifts, as as we're called to do in Scripture, to tithe. So I formed a company and I said, okay, well, we're going to tithe. I'm going to run this business like it's, you know, and I'm going to tithe. So we tithe, And lo and behold, we kept growing and we kept giving. We kept growing. We kept giving. I saw, hmm, wow. This this Malachi scripture <laughs> put me to the test. Uh, this one worked for me in terms of just trusting the blessings. By the way, the blessings weren't financial. <clears throat> I've done fine, fine financially. God's always cared for my needs. The blessings were the strength uh, to, to kind of navigate some situations in my life that I don't think if I hadn't accepted Christ that I, I don't know I would have made it things with my family members with addiction and mental health My own personal issues, you know, God has just stood by me Stood by my shoulder, you know faithfully uh, on this walk I want to show you a little video one of the things I did when I When I realized that I was gonna have a, a faith-based company was I said geez I've got to understand this more so I joined a group and uh, Rusty, you know you know, Emma, I'm gonna show you a little video. I joined a Christian business group, CEO group, and I wanted to show you a little video from my time in that group, if I can. It doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice your faith. What's been most important to me is the way that convene has fulfilled its promise. Uh, Which is to to help me understand how I can weave together these three parts of my life my faith My work and my family in a way that that honors God And, and in a way that Helps me achieve my goals while keeping balance the three pieces of convene the forum days the content and The coaching or the mentoring are all very very valuable pieces of the overall puzzle each element of convene provides a unique and important um, ingredient to the overall convene experience. Convene days where we work together as a team, uh, we go through content, we share uh, issues, we consult and collaborate, and we actually consult with each other. It's almost like having your own private group of advisors, but advisors that really understand you. Not just your business, but who you are, where you are in your faith walk, and how their advice and counsel needs to be infused with the full perspective of who you are. The second part of convene, which I also find incredibly valuable, is the personal coaching. Each convene group has a a mentor leader or a convene group leader, and it's a chance to really get down to brass tacks, one-on-one goals, objectives, uh, right down to key key performance indicators. The convene is 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 an environment where We come with an open heart. We come prepared to help our fellow members. And it's the classic uh, biblical lesson, which is that you are most helped when you are helping. So the real reason I wanted to show you this is how, did you notice how skinny and young? I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I don't know if I should show that video, but... The reason I wanted to show it to you is because, you know, there's so many people in America today that believe that if you bring your faith into work or that if you if you, you know, if you put the label Christian openly on yourself, even in a place like Amazon, that somehow you're going to be put in a in a box as being, you know, uh, politically incorrect because of your faith. Well, let me tell you, guys, that has not been the case for me. Not only has it not been the case in my corporate life, you know, being an open witness, but in my, in my personal business as well. I wanted to show you a little bit more, and then we'll wrap up, but uh, I... Uh Don? Yes, sir. When, when did
2: you take part in this convene uh, program, or is it an ongoing relationship? For
1: you? That's a great question. I did uh, I did the program for several years. It's been about six years. Since, uh, since I finished it up, I kind of graduated from the program. <laughs> Emma, <laughs> my coach, retired from it, too. So, I, I, you know, when I, when I came to my, my, uh, my faith in Christ, you know, about 13 years ago, I joined a, a, a ministry called Goshen. I want to show you a little bit about Goshen. I'm running out of time. I really want to wrap up by showing you something I'm excited to share with you guys about my, uh, my daughter was a member of the church and, and her plans for mission work for a couple of years. I'm going to close up on that. But real briefly on Goshen. Goshen Valley is in Waleska, Georgia. Uh, years ago, I got my first job from a fellow named John Blend. And he, he was an interesting, is an interesting guy. He went to divinity school but then he, he quit and became an IBM software salesman. So God, you know, God was still tugging on his heartstrings. So he, he sold this company that I was with and um, God called him to, to do this Goshen thing. We now have 100 kids. We're one of the largest. We're very much like the United Methodist Children's Home in, in terms of the operations we have. We're a state licensed and an accredited healthcare organization. Long and short of it is that I've been involved for 20 years, been on the board for 10. We've grown from zero to about $7 million in, in, in annual revenue, half of which we raise from a lot of different churches. Uh, And it's just been a tremendous blessing. We've got a foster ministry. We've got a youth ministry for 18 to 21-year-olds. We just opened a new wellness center. We're going to open up drug counseling. We're really trying to get to families before that crisis breaks children up, which in the state is a big problem. And I'll show you a quick – I'm just going to show you this one video about Goshen, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Good.
2: 5,000 young men in the custody of our state not by choice but by the circumstance of trauma, abuse and neglect. When a young man lives in an unsafe environment he becomes burdened by circumstance that's where Goshen Valley steps in. Goshen Valley is a community for young men moving from burden to blessing we facilitate healing from traumatic childhood events and growth into self-sufficiency through safety wellness and purpose and the context of a healthy family life. We provide the education, holistic health, and therapy needed to help them reach their full potential. At Ocean Valley, we need to them to see beyond the burden of their circumstance to use their story
1: as a blessing to themselves and others. Goshen Valley, moving from burden to blessing. Keep making it louder, not soft. Can you guys hear okay? <laughs> Is everybody awake this morning? So, you know... <laughs> i joke i'm the head of the development committee on the board of trustees, and they said hey we need a commercial and i said uh okay well, what do you mean we need a commercial and they said well we need a commercial we need to we need to talk about our mission and i said well you know christ gave us this commercial it's called the bible <laughs> why don't we just keep pointing to that but we have done a lot of, uh, of marketing and also gotten involved at the state level to really advocate for children you know, in this state, guys, I hate to say it, we do not take care of our underprivileged people the way we should, uh, and, and you know that, that's not a political statement, it's just a statement of fact. Right now, my colleagues are down in the gold dome fighting to keep the money we need for social services, for drug interdiction, for mental health. So call your state senator and tell them. Low taxes are great, but not when you cut muscle, not when you're putting people out on the street who are wandering. Because they can't get mental health care. Or we throw them in jail, at least we fix that problem. So Goshen is, is part of, my, part of my, walking, my walking day-to-day with Christ. Uh, the board told me last year, well, two years ago, well, we were going to do this capital campaign. And you know, you, you, you raise money every year, right? And if you're involved in the ministry, you realize, okay, well, the calendar comes around and it's time to go back out. And God is calling us to grow. He's calling us to grow. So we, we did this capital campaign. I was nervous. But because we had done all the hard work for a decade to get certified and credentialed in IRS and all this, we were able to raise $1.7 million. And we launched our wellness center in 11 months. We had our groundbreaking last month. It is unbelievable what God is doing at Goshen Valley. I cannot tell you how exciting it is just to stand back and watch it just to say, Okay, God, I'm stepping out just a little bit, getting out of the boat. And then you just watch it and you're just like, this is cool stuff. (laughs) This Christian stuff. I've got a couple more slides, but Eric, I feel bad. I keep having you come up and back. Okay, so I'm just going to close up with a little bit about my family. I mentioned my wife, Charlotte, uh, my daughter, Elizabeth uh elizabeth is uh, i'm going to talk talk to you wrap up talk to you about something she's going to do here in a second that we're really excited about as a family uh this right here is one of my favorites uh when we first came to the church we lived over in east cobb and we used to pile the kids in and and you know we'd always be two minutes late right It's just inevitable kids you know flying and we decided to move over to Roswell, and I said, well, now we can walk to church. We'll never be late. <laughs> we live three minutes away. We're still two minutes late. <laughs> uh, but just blessed with my family. Uh, this is my daughter, Elizabeth. My son, Taylor, is a football player for Roswell. Um, I wanted to close with you talking about freedom from fear. You know, we, you hear this all the time. But I I was praying about it the other day because I think that that's that's when you know you've got to trust God, right? When something is really... Something might be really super scary, either with a family member who's ill or somebody, and you realize, man, there's so much solace in this thing called grace, and there's so much solace in this scripture, in this Bible that God gives us to read. Um, And when you read about freedom from fear... It's just impossible to miss it in the Bible. It's absolutely impossible to miss this point that Christ makes and that God makes to us throughout the Old and New Testament. Isaiah 43.1, I've called you by name. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. What a, what a wonderful scripture there in Luke 12. Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. It sounds like your friend in high school, like, hey, don't worry, just, I got it. But it's really, it's really that simple, right? I mean, that's re- it's really, it boils down to Mark 5, 36. Jesus told you, don't be afraid, just believe. So I want to talk to you about freedom from something. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about freedom of fear from thirst. We're going to close up talking about uh, my daughter, Elizabeth. And I wanted to pause uh, and, and, and indulge you with with this Titus scripture. I have a friend who who's really fond of saying, you know, this is the only criteria for, for church leadership according to the ancient church, according to scriptures. It's Titus scripture. Basically, what it says is, if you raise kids and you don't have any bums, then maybe you can be an elder. <laughs> so I'm 51. I present myself to you. And I'm very excited. You know, it's bad to be proud of faith because it's everybody's gift, but I think it's okay to be a little proud of our children. So I wanted to share a closing video, and then I'm going to have my daughter speak to you briefly about what she's doing. Um, And if you could, one more time, just one more. It's what we do. It's
2: who we are. There we go. What sets us apart empowerment because at water 4 we know ending the global water crisis takes more than wells. it takes people empowered people who dedicate their lives to ending the senseless death that comes from this preventable crisis it's not about us not about our name our brand it's about raising up business leaders who can combat the crisis head-on in their own country? Teach a man to fish? No, how about we teach a man to dig deep into the soil and pump safe water into a community for the very first time? How about we come alongside a local enterprise so they can maintain the pumps and keep the water running for years to come? How about we teach an entrepreneur to run their own business, supplying that water to neighbors around them? How about we change the face of a continent, one community, one district, one region at a time, through sustainable, reliable solutions? Water 4 isn't some fly-by-night, feel-good activism group. We're not just another charity talking about the issue. We're in the trenches every day with our partners ensuring this crisis will be eradicated in our lifetime. And to make sure that happens, we fight with fire. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we refuse to live in a broken world where those around us live in hopelessness and poverty. We see bringing water into a community as a spiritual act. We don't thump Bibles, we pump water. And in doing so, we earn the right to share the living water as well. We innovate, finding new ways to provide sustainable, cost-effective solutions for water access and share our findings with our partners in the field. From designing our own pumps to creating entire water systems built off cutting-edge technology, we continually work to make the impossible possible. We reimagine the status quo daily, never afraid to throw out old ideas in an effort to end the crisis once and for all. We don't see a disease-ridden village. We see a future with safe water in every home. We don't accept the lie that sustainability is unobtainable in our time, but look forward to the day when Water 4 is no longer needed. And we do all this in an effort to empower men and women to fight the water crisis in their own communities. We know it can't be solved by Westerners calling all the shots. The vision for an end to the global water crisis has to live inside the hearts and minds of those who have the power to do something about it. Those in the communities directly affected. You see, at Waterford, we're not the heroes of this story. Our heroes are the men and women working daily to save the lives of the millions. We give them the tools they need to change the world around them the vision to create a new, sustainable way of living, the hope to bring life to communities on the brink of existence. Whether it's the guarantee of a working hand or safe water for every person in a district. Safe water changes everything. And that's why we won't stop until every person on earth has access. At Water4, we believe the water crisis has already been solved. Now it's time to end it once and for all.
1: So I'm very excited uh, to introduce my daughter here in a second. I've worked for Amazon now. They they, they took me out, I guess, the expression this past fall. And, um, you know, I, I have a wonderful opportunity to continue uh, my passion for clean energy and clean water. There are 800, about 800 million people in Africa who lack energy and water, clean water. And... Um, not only is it a commercial opportunity to help bring clean clean energy to folks, to transition us to cleaner energy and water, but it's a, a tremendous spiritual opportunity. So I'd like to invite my daughter, Elizabeth, who's going as a missionary out of this church for two years to Water 4. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hey, everybody. Um,
3: I'll be super fast. So... Uh, I'm his daughter, obviously. Um, so I'm a senior right now at Georgia Tech with an, a degree in environmental engineering with a focus on water sanitation systems, which is why I'm going to do this. It's what I've um, been in school for four years for, and it's what I've been passionate about since I was in high school. Um, I went on uh, the mission trip to Kenya with our um, youth group here, and that was when I first saw like how much the water crisis was really affecting people. Um, like Each year in Sierra Leone, which is where I'll be moving um, after graduation for two years, Um, something like 4,000 children die of waterborne diseases. And in sub-Saharan Africa alone, like 40 million hours of work were lost because people had to walk to and from um, water sources that weren't even safe for drinking. So this is something I, like, really feel confident God is calling me into. Um, I, like my dad said, I've worked at the youth department, RUMC, as a college intern for four years. And so Jason um, and Wilson and the staff over there and also, like, my co-small group leaders have been very supportive in pushing me to, like, take this step because, when my dad was talking about fear i thought it was funny because th- this is something i'm really scared of um but i'm really excited to be like moving into it boldly um that being said sierra leone which is like on the west of the west of africa um their economy isn't great so they don't have a lot of money for this um so i do have to fundraise um which is really difficult and a very humbling experience um but yeah if this is something that you um, feel you would like to support. Um, they've been really successful. They've brought water in Sierra Leone. They have, they, live, they work in four different countries in Africa right now, but the one I'm moving to is Sierra Leone. They've brought water to 150,000 people successfully so far, and they've planted 17 different churches. So they go in and they, like, do clean water work, and then once they've built relationships with the people, that's when they start introducing the gospel. Um, so their their tagline is, in giving clean water, we also – in the right to give living water. You know, there's that verse um, in the Bible that talks about Jesus giving the, little, the living water to the woman at the well. And so part of what we're doing on our mission in Africa is just introduce those people to that as well because the area that they live in doesn't allow missionaries. Um, and so we're able to come in um, to do the clean water work and with us we bring the light of the gospel And and the Bible calls us to spread his word as far as we can. So I'm hoping that as I live there, for two years or maybe more, you know that I'm able to do that. But yeah, I'll be hanging out. So if you're interested in coming and talking to me about it um, or any more information, um, just let me know. And I have all the answers to all the questions you could possibly have. Um, so yeah, I'll be back there. But that's all. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's that's the end. It's eight o'clock. I'm very prompt. Uh, I I just am very excited for Elizabeth. And and if you feel if you feel called to support uh, her her efforts, uh, please please do consider uh, supporting her work. Any questions? Uh, it's eight o'clock, and everybody's got you know. Don. Yes. Uh,
2: Don, how much does your daughter need, and when does she go? Okay. Oh, that's a
1: good question. Elizabeth will graduate in December or November, so she'll graduate a fall graduation from Georgia Tech, uh, and we'll head over there uh, at right after Christmas uh, this com- this year. So. We need to raise, or she needs to raise, she needs to raise with God's help, uh, I think $60,000 is what she's looking to raise. A lot of people will provide like a monthly gift for two years, you know, like 50 or $100 kind of uh, uh, as a way of, of spreading that donation out. So she doesn't have to raise it all cash in hand. She has to raise pledges just like we do at the church towards her work. And, and the money, all the money is going to go towards uh, equipment for a new uh, water facility in, in one of the villages that Elizabeth will be working in. So, with that, I thank you and uh, I hope everybody has a wonderful, albeit rainy day.